the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. I had a fascinating night last night. We uh, did a show that's going to be posted tonight uh, for subscribers only uh, on theblaze.com slash TV. It's a, it's, it's a, we had dinner last night with how many people, Stu? Was there, there was eight of us at the table, right? Yes. And they, they ranged from a, I mean, they were all, it was the Island of Misfit Toys. Um, there was a, a, a transgender man uh, who was African-American or still is African-American and, uh, and deeply Christian. Uh, there was a, a Marxist socialist kind of professor at the table. There was a deep Christian uh, constitutional scholar. There was a, a really smart libertarian guitar player in a band. Uh, there was an African-American activist radio host and uh, a, a refugee from Venezuela who could not stop talking about liberty and how important it is to pay attention to what your government is doing. It was amazing, amazing. We got up afterwards, and uh, the, the socialist professor said to me, I have to tell you, uh, that was the best discussion I think I've, I've been engaged in in a long time. While we all completely disagree with each other, that was fascinating to be able to have that talk in today's America. Thank you. It was truly remarkable, truly remarkable uh, when you just start treating people with respect. And we did. It got heated a couple of times, um, uh, but we all walked away with respect for one another. Yeah, it was kind of more of an experiment to just see if the earth would fold in upon itself if this event occurred. And it did not. It didn't. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you do not see on television. Nobody. Everybody has an agenda. We had no agenda other than I want to understand you. I want to understand you and I want to understand what you're thinking. And it was, it was quite remarkable. That doesn't happen everywhere. In fact, it's not happening really anywhere here in California. Let me give you this story quickly. This is a story we're going to cover on tomorrow. There's a, uh, a community here in the County of San Bernardino that has just told this cafe uh, that they, they can't, they don't, they won't retain their business license because they're playing religious Christian music as Muzak. Now, the store owner says, look, I, yes, we do. We have easy listening music and contemporary Christian. Well, some atheists got together and said that uh, that needed to be brought to the attention of the Department of Real Estate Services. I don't want to live in a state that has a Department of Real Estate Services. Um, but a Department of Real Estate Services, the county of San Bernardino, they have now they're going to put this uh, cafe out of business uh, and uh, it is it is because it is located in the Superior Court building and they say they can do it. The owners say this is religious bigotry. I think this is quite honestly the old progressive and hippie uh, bigotry there. I'm reading a book, uh, Rockets Religion. It's by Mark Joseph forward by Alice Cooper. Uh, and um, it, 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 right towards the beginning, it talks about how the younger generation is more tolerant. Listen to this. 
The generational shift became apparent when Rolling Stone, a legend of the old guard of rock music criticism, refused to run an advertisement for a modern translation of the Bible in its magazine, though it violated no guidelines. Blender, on the other hand, representing a new and more tolerant generation of the music business, readily agreed to run the ad. The old guard of rock, schooled in the fires of battles between church and rock music, was given way now to a new group of rock executives, journalists, and radio programmers, though not necessarily supportive of the effort to blend Christian ideas into the mainstream music industry, aren't openly hostile as their forebears were. Mark Joseph is uh, on with us now, the author of Rock and Religion. Hey, Mark, how are you? Hey, Greg. Glenn, great to be with you. Um, so, so um, first of all, this is crazy. I, I know you live in California. This is crazy. What is uh, what is happening here? But is there? Did when you started writing this about rock and religion, are you finding uh, that there is there really is a trend of more tolerance at the lower end because it that seems to run counterintuitive to what everything we're seeing on TV. No, there is definitely a generational factor at work here. And, you know, in the, in the book I talk about, rock and religion got off to a bad start in the 50s. <laughs> you know, when, when rock and roll first started, uh, look, at it, 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 the culture was inundating traditionalists at one time. There was the pill, there was rock and roll, it was the Beatles, it was the Stones. It was uh, drugs. It was hard to know what was good and what wasn't. And I think many in the church overreacted and began to burn records and, you know, bread at the devil's music and all that. And some of the rock guys went along with the gag, like, okay, we'll pretend we're Satanists. They weren't all, very few were real Satanists, right? But they, they took the pose. <laughs> and, and so you had this unnecessary, in my mind, battle going on. And really what the book is about is in the last, uh, so, so what happened in response to that was when, when Christian people did try to make rock music, they were often told, take, hey, water it down a little bit, tone it down a little bit. The founders of Christian rock, uh, Larry Norman, recorded a record for Capitol. And he wanted to call it, we need a lot more Jesus and a lot less rock and roll. And Capitol said, nah, call it, I love you instead. And so they did <laughs> face some opposition, right? I love you instead of that title. Yeah. Uh, so, so they did face opposition. But what the response, unfortunately, was to go off and create a separate genre called contemporary Christian music. And so for 20 or 30 years, uh, CCM, it was, as it was called, was kind of what I would call the Negro Baseball Leagues. It was uh, amazing players. And as I researched that league, you know, Satchel Paige is an amazing player. But a lot of, our, a lot of those uh, players never got out of the Negro Baseball Leagues. And CCM was very similar. So you had a parallel musical universe going on for about 30 years. But I would say the last five to 10 years, that has changed. And most, a great deal of those artists have gone mainstream. And you say and it's because, saying, you say it's be, a big part of it is because of American Idol. That's right. American Idol is really significant, Glenn, because what happened was the pop and rock stars that you and I grew up listening to in the, 60, in the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s, generally those are picked by a half a dozen white guys in Hollywood. And let's just say they didn't have Glenn Beck's values, to keep it simple. <laughs> so, to, to become a rock or pop star, you had to pass a certain test to get by those guys. And I have in the book an actual example of this happening where a guy who went on to become a major Christian pop star named Keith Green. Before he became a Christian pop star, he auditioned for Clive Davis in New York in 1977. He didn't pass the Clive Davis test, whatever it was. And so he was relegated to Christian music. Uh, and that happened over and over again. 
but however, when, when American Idol hits, it's really interesting because for the first time, it doesn't matter what a Clive Davis thinks about you. All that matters is what Hank in Cleveland and Susie in Tuscaloosa thinks about you because they were voting for our <clears throat> pop and rock stars. And so suddenly you have artists like Carrie Underwood and uh, Chris Allen and dozens and dozens of artists who may not have passed the Clive Davis test. So, um, you know, you, you, when you think of, uh, when you think of rock and roll music, you do think of two things, the devil's music, you know, from the old, the 1950s, ah, he's shaking his hips. He's singing the devil's music. You think of that. You think of, uh, you think of the, uh, the counterculture, uh, groups, but then you also, if you bring Christianity into popular music, you think of those Christians like Miley Cyrus and, and others that have just gone horribly awry when they went and crossed over. Right. Yeah, it's all, it's all in the book. The Miley Cyrus, Cyrus chapter is in the book. The Katy Perry chapter is in the book. So look, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed story. But uh, there's three other trends besides the American Idol. The second one is young artists, for instance, like the ones I mentioned, and even Justin Bieber, whose mother is a very devout Christian woman, uh, and raised him in the church and very pro-life. Uh, that's the kind of artist who in the past would have gone to Nashville and signed to a Christian music label. But no, he goes straight. His mother helps guide him straight to a mainstream label. The second, uh, the other phenomenon is the Alice Cooper, who wrote the foreword of the book, as you talked about. So uh, Alice Cooper comes back to his faith in the, in the 1980s. And in the old days, here's what would have happened. He would have gone to his preacher, and his preacher would have said, well, Alice, time to go back to your given name of Vincent Fernier, cut your hair, and tour the country singing hymns at churches. Mm -hmm. And, of course, none of his old fans would have, would have tagged along for that ride. But so Alice goes to his preacher and says, okay, what do I do now? And his preacher says to him, does God make mistakes? And Alice says, yeah, I don't think so. And he says, well, he made you to be Alice Cooper, so go back out there and be the best, best most godly Alice Cooper you can be. And so for the last 20 years, that's what we've had. We've had Alice Cooper essentially singing from a Christian point of view. Uh, he doesn't drink. He replaced his drinking with golf. Uh, and he's, he's the same Alice Cooper. Um, so that's, that's also been huge. And then finally, have been artists like Switchfoot and dozens and dozens of others who used to be in the contemporary Christian music industry who now are on mainstream labels and on your local radio station playing at Starbucks. So what do you think is, because at the same time that Christianity is getting such pushback uh, and being, you know, pushed out of the public square. You say this is this is happening. Can you square the two? Yeah. Uh, look, at the price of admission to this party is to drop the label. Uh, the label is, was off-putting to people. Um, try telling Alice Cooper or Dave Mustaine of Megadeth, you have to step off the public square because you're a born-again Christian. Good luck with that. Right. They've earned their place in the public square and they can't be pushed out. I think the key is to really do good work. Uh, and and uh, sometimes, uh, you know, in the case of Christian music, that label was off putting to people because it felt like it wasn't for the rest of you know, people who weren't religious. And so I, I catalog dozens and dozens of artists who are, are in the mainstream and people are sometimes aren't even aware. I have friends that have no idea about Alice Cooper and the change that, he, that he's undergone. And so, uh, look, at, uh, is persecution some, does it sometimes happen to people of faith? Of course. We've all heard stories from around the world throughout history. Uh, but I think the key is to do good work, to make the work so compelling that people will put up with, uh, with some ideas they may not agree with because they love what you're doing.
Um, the, the, and the uh, the guy from Megadeth was Natasha, who's a producer on our show. She's big. I mean, she's a big Megadeth fan. She said that uh, there are some songs now that he just he would just won't sing that he used to, but he's still he's still doing it. That's right. That's right. And uh, he, he is he's it's an amazing story. Uh, he, too, had, you know, bouts with alcohol and drugs. Uh, and in the case of Alice, by the way, Alice, uh, to my understanding, at least from what I've heard from him, he never really had to go through the 12 step program. He just, you know, slopped, put in golf where alcohol used to be. Wow. Dave's had a more interesting journey. Uh, but all, but Prince had a similar journey. You know, he became a very devout Jehovah's Witness, and there were songs that he wouldn't play from his catalog as well. So that's part of, uh, you know, part of rock and roll is a youth thing. And uh, eventually people grow up and, and they their, their opinions change. It's I have to tell you, um, Mark, it's a fascinating uh, book. Rock Gets Religion, The Battle for the Soul of the Devil's Music. And uh, I thank you so much for sharing it with us. God bless. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.